one. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Deconstructing. Back at it like a bad habit. I am Curtis Cooper, one of your hosts, and I am joined by the vivacious Delaney Harris. What is up, though? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I am doing better than good today because we are joined by a fabulous special guest. Would you mind introducing yourself, sir? Good morning. It's Redmond Bandy. Redmond, why are you here today? Uh, I just felt like getting up at the crack of dawn to discuss some stuff. Oh. To deconstruct some stuff, if you will. There we go. That's what we do here. And uh, let's see. Redmond, if you had to give me like a, like a two-sentence elevator pitch about yourself, what would it be? I am a man who spends too much time on Twitter. Yeah, you do. Learning I'm about saying. politics. <laughs> Ooh. Spoiling discussing our leftism. Already. You leftism. know. Ooh. Yes. And uh, decided I might as well share some of those opinions. There we go. Nice, nice, nice. Okay, so as you all probably sussed out, our topic today is politics, but I want to start off by going around the table, starting with Dell, yeah. and kind of give a short summary of your journey through politics and kind of like your exposure to politics when you were little and where, you, where you're at now. Well, I'm really going to be exposing myself because I don't know much about politics at all. And I never really have. Um, my brother's huge into politics. And so like it, my whole life, I just listened to his opinions and made fun of them. But as for myself, <laughs> I don't know a whole lot about um, like the whole political game. Um, and so my stance on it is kind of not really like any like specific, like I don't like identify like a political party. I just kind of, you know, hold my opinions. <laughs> I'm rather loud about them, but that's kind of it. <laughs> now you say that, Del, but I wouldn't consider you a centrist from what I've what I've talked to you about. Okay. How do you like mean? you like you're not you're not necessarily in the middle. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah, be- what are what are your thoughts on Del and her political opinions, Redmond? Uh yeah, I, I wouldn't consider her centrist either. No. I think. No, I'd say <laughs> you tend to be a bit left of center. Okay. I mean, I think everybody has, you know, unique spots oh, on yeah. the spectrum, but definitely. yeah, I definitely uh, put you on the left side of things. Okay. And is that more conservative or liberal? That's more liberal. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Definitely. Redmond, how about you? Uh, it's been a journey, man. I... Uh, <laughs> Back in, like, I first became aware, I guess, or thought about politics in 2012, Obama's second mm-hmm. election. Um, I was in, uh, in government class and you know, good old uh, academy, and our teacher had us, like, watch the debates and give our thoughts, and that was, like, my first time being a part of the discussion mm. and seeing things. Um, and then obviously, as things in the world have become even more extreme, I, in turn, have also become even more extreme. So it's been a, it's been a great relationship. You know what like they say? Millennials are either radicalized or not. And Yeah. 
I, I have been radicalized <laughs> on, on well, the I left mean, sort of things as well. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're radicalized because it makes for great conversation. Um, we'll have to determine if I'm radicalized or not. Yeah, where do you stand? Um, so I had a bit of a bit of a route coming here too because I grew up um, at least around a lot of political conservatism. Um, not a super big surprise because I come from an evangelical family, as you both do as well. Um, and my politics reflected that for, oh, probably at least most of high school. And then when I went to college, I like kind of like took a little like libertarian detour because um, <laughs> as, as I feel as like you do. all as I feel like all like all like men who are like, I'm a free thinker do at some point. Um, and I do have issues with libertarianism now, but uh, I did, I did vote libertarian in the 2016 election. Wow. And uh, do I regret Probably the least now? worst time to make that decision. Oh yeah, totally. Totally. Um, because uh, those, those, both those candidates are a little rough. Um, I mean, I, I also voted third party. Really? Who did you vote for? Yeah, I, I was one of those Jill Stein voters. Oh, the Stein stands. Yeah, that was me. Wow. So full confession, I've never voted in my life. What? Dell. And my grandmother was like, if she knew that, she would kill me because she, <laughs> like, women had like, fought so hard to be able to vote. I'm like, no, didn't vote. <laughs> and you're just like, no, they didn't. I'm not going to vote. Is that an active decision or is it more of just, I forgot that voting was today? Yeah, or like I'm ambivalent towards it. Um, I had classes, like like a lot of classes that week, and I just didn't have like the mental energy to drive, you know, all the two miles to, to the voting place and vote. Um, I was registered, so like I did plan to, it just never happened. You got step one, got you. Okay. Yeah, yeah but one of these days. Oh, actually, that's not right. So yeah, I uh, I was libertarian for a hot minute in college, and then I started meeting and talking and listening to diverse peoples. And at that point, I was like, "Well, my beliefs do not align with con- American conservatives, so therefore, by process of elimination, I must be a liberal." Now. And I've only gone further down that path since then. And now I consider myself like a, like a pretty like strong liberal. Like I'm not, I don't really consider myself a moderate liberal. Um, I align with a lot of what at least idealist Democrats towed around. I mean, I think we'll, we'll talk about both parties and their problems, but uh yeah, I, I, I definitely identify more as a progressive than I do a Democrat. Okay. Okay, so moving, moving right along, um, I want to get you all's thoughts on the church because we all grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And I want you all to give me just some, some anecdotes, just any stories you have about any time you remember politics being woven in 
to the church you went to, or maybe your parents said something that kind of mixed politics and religion together. Starting with Redmond. Dramatic pause. <laughs> I was muted. Um, <laughs> I would say, um, right, the, the Zoom generation. Um, it was it was interesting for me because I think you know, as a uh, spoiler alert, I am of the African American persuasion. Um, what? This is an audio. I know. Big First spoiler. of all, how dare you? <laughs> big. I, I I hate to to show my face like that, but you know. Um, <laughs> but like, I think it's it's interesting because you know, for you guys, the the default is being a conservative. Republican mm -hmm. for us the default is being a conservative Democrat and so Ooh, I never thought about it that way yeah so like all of the you know growing up attending church pastors would talk politics occasionally and it was you know very mainstream democratic but still you know conservative on like social issues and things yeah so as I you know as I've continue to figure out my own place in the political world spectrum and everything that was kind of the baseline where I started and then I continued moving left the more things that I read and the more uh tweets I retweeted <laughs> yeah and the more like people of like different identities and orientations that you met and grew to empathize with kind of like me <laughs> Dell pretty much yeah Oh, were you were you done, Redmond? Yeah, that was pretty much all I had to say. Dell, how about you? Well, full disclosure, I did not grow up a Seventh Day Adventist, but I did grow up around Seventh Day Adventist. Like, I think my dad was Seventh Day Adventist. Okay, potato, potato, in terms <laughs> of our conversation currently. <laughs> um, but I was like exposed to church a lot. Like my extended family, most of them were Seventh Day Adventist. And so I think that, like, I grew up, like, very much so um, probably conservative Republican is probably the, yeah. I mean, again, I don't know a whole lot about politics, but that was kind of, like, the general. And I never really agreed with it. Like, they would say things that I felt like were, like, <laughs> completely off base. But, like, I was, like, this <laughs> so I didn't say anything. I just listened to them and, like, okay. Um, and so probably my exposure, like I really like my, my perspective broadened in college, especially because my brother and I had very like opposing ideas and yeah. become like closer in our views, but we're still like very different. And so like we had very opposing ideas. And so like I would listen to his like perspective and he was very vocal on our college campus. Mm -hmm. So often like I would hear people like quoting him or he'd be like in the paper, the, the campus paper. And I'd be like, I don't agree with that at all. And like, I would like, <laughs> argue with him. And so I think that's like when my like perspective like broadened, I realized the importance of like having an opinion when it came to politics. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So what about you? Um, let's see. So here's, this will be like fairly like basic, like white Adventist church of me to say. Okay. Um, but growing up, I don't remember like most of my pastors talking about politics ever. Oh. Um, in fact, I think the pastor that my church had up until like 
last year. Like I remember him giving one sermon about politics, but it was more of like the, the flowery, like standard, like middle of the road Adventist, like, Oh yeah. Like politics are fine to have, but like we serve the Lord above all else. And um, God knows what's going to happen at the end of time. So it doesn't really matter. Um, so up until that point, I didn't hear a lot of um, politics, but then I came to Southern and I started going to a church that Dell is aware of. <laughs> and I'm sure Redmond has at least heard of. Um, to go to that church. Yep. But anyway, yes, we'll yes, you did. Reverend, I think I think you came with Dell at some point to our to our church. Definitely. Oh, 100 percent I think you did. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um but that church, like they got decked out for like America specific holidays. And like I remember specifically, like at on like I think it was like either Veterans Day or like some other like patriotic holiday they were like in the middle of church they all got up and did the national not the national anthem the pledge of allegiance wow and like wasn't there that week oh no no you were not (laughs) and i remember thinking at the time like i was still like it was like in the middle of college so i was still like assessing out my political beliefs but like at that at even at that point i was like what kind of crazy idolatry is this like (laughs) no thank you auntie ellen would never (laughs) no no sir um and then i remember in a sermon at that very same church um one the the pastor like who at uh, up to that point i i liked a pretty good amount um the pastor was like well you know this was like i think it was 2016 well, you know, like, uh, he was saying something random, and then he randomly switched topics and was like, well, you know, the right political candidate won. And I was like, oof. Like, my entire row just, like, cringed. Yikes. And I was like, they let people say this in church? <laughs> um, because I, I didn't grow, around, grow up around anybody ever endorsing political candidates, like, when you walked in that church. Wow. Um, but yeah, but yeah, that's kind of, yeah, kind of my experiences with all of that. It, it's, it's weird. Um, like that's, that's should... an understatement of the year, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so like, should churches, should like Christians have like this kind of patriotism, I guess is the next question like what is what is everyone's relationship with patriotism i want to i want to start with dell because dell you come from like a different family than me and redmond do in terms of like your relationship with patriotism so like can you tell us a little bit about that sure so i grew up in a military family my dad was in the service he still is in service and so growing up like patriotism was extremely important and it was always Mm -hmm. like, like god country family and so like in that order. And so I think um, growing up in the church, like we always, wherever I was, was always an American flag and the Christian flag, like always on. Like, yep. It was always like equally important was God and then country was like just underneath God. And I think I was like 
probably 13 when I first like said to somebody are we should we really like be defending like our country to this point because what if like one of these days our god and our country are opposed or our religion and our country are opposed and I remember like that being such a foreign thought to the people around me like of course we're gonna you know still have like this patriotism every day at five o'clock on where I live everyone would stop and do the national anthem they put their hand over their hearts while they lowered and raised the flag and that was just like a way of life it was almost like like a ritualistic kind of oh yeah around, yeah around our country and I think it took many years for me to finally say wait a minute like like patriotism to me is like where I live and like defending what I'm like what, what I what I own I guess like as like as far as like land and like culture American culture but it's not necessarily the end all be all like I'll still be the same person if I'm in a different country one of these days living or if I'm um in a different uh, kind of, uh, I guess, like political system than I grew up in. And so I think it was a difficult path to separate the two, religion and patriotism, because they went hand in hand. Like it was always all forgotten country and like for, forgotten country was like the the thing that was like, like we had it all over the walls in the house, we had it in the front yeah. door locked in. It was like a big thing. And so I think separating the two was very difficult. Um, I don't know if that was how it was for you guys um, growing up, but um how was it for you Redmond um I didn't have that experience at all Um, (laughs) I I, like I was homeschooled for the first six years of my educational career and congratulations uh, (laughs) thank you I I somehow made it out no I um so a lot of the kids that I spent a lot of time with early years was just like a very, very conservative uh, Southern Christian people. And so they were always diehard for God and country and stuff. But my family were just like, I mean, we live here. We <laughs> like the country. Yeah. We'll, we'll say we the Pledge the of Allegiance, sure. But like, yeah, we pay the taxes. Don't break the laws. But also, like, don't go that hard, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. I think the, the most patriotic I... I usually feel is like you know every two years watching the Olympics, oh. and uh, there you know, go. Like, yes, America, but yeah. not not to the to the level of every day at five p.m. turning eastward and bowing towards the flag. <laughs> I never never went through that. Uh, yeah, you know it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, um, patriotism and me have gone through a bit of a bit of a journey kind of like my my politics i mean i was never i was never the type to be like shouting like usa in the school halls or something like some other dudes in my high school would sometimes do um but i definitely considered myself pretty patriotic um in high school and like even early college where i was like well i mean america's not perfect but it's better than like these other countries where like people are still like enslaved and while, while some would argue that is definitely still true, um, I started to realize the cracks in America's armor um, around that time when I started like talking to, for example, like LGBT people um, and what their struggles are and how they view America. And realizing that like, to me now, patriotism is less like, unbridled like worship of a country and more of like 
I think the most patriotic thing you can do is wish and strive for your country to be better than it is. Um, because like progress and introspection, I think not only on an individual level, but on a countrywide level is like paramount to like just improving. And to me, America has not done that fast enough or even at all in some areas. And yeah, so I would, I would argue at all. Yeah. Um, and I want to get back to that in a second. Um, don't forget that thought, Redmond. Um, Writing it down now. Excellent. Um, but um, what was I? Oh, yeah. Um, so I went, I, I go to a lot of football games because my family has like uh, season tickets. Like my uncle has season tickets. Um, and this has been no more evident than when um, the, obviously at every like sporting event in America, or at least most of them, you stand up for the national anthem in the beginning. And I remember when I was like 16, 17, getting like so emotional when like they would unfurl this giant flag on the field and like they would sing um, or like have someone play an instrument for the national anthem. And looking back on it, I don't necessarily know why I was super emotional about it, other than the fact that like whatever like emotional manipulation the production team was doing was working. Kind of like how in some movies where like something sad happens, you're like, I don't even know why I'm sad. I don't care about this character necessarily, but I'm crying anyway. Um, but they do like a fiddle. Like, exactly. But then like the last few years, like when they're like saying for the national anthem, like the only thing I can think about, like this is this was true of the Trump presidency, this is true of the Biden presidency. How I'm like, man, how friggin' far do we have to go before I can look at that flag and not think complicated thoughts and feel that. all the way, all the ways that we have failed our own people on multiple levels today. So I want to, want to circle back to what you were talking about Redmond and, um, in terms of politics and a lot of issues, some people would argue that like America is progressed further now and is more advanced now than it has ever been. But you disagree with this. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there is, you know, one of the, I guess, main foundational aspects of um trump when he ran in 2016 was you know make america great again because we had some days where we used to be great and then now we don't anymore um, yeah that was the basic premise yeah i i don't completely disagree in some ways like i think peak america was like 50s to like early 80s yeah. For specifically who it was meant to be great for, obviously. Yes. Um, my family wasn't one of those, but like, you know, the GI Bill, all of the, the as big as a social safety net was, like there was a lot of great options in place for people to give them upward mobility. And mm -hmm. as soon as they had to uh, expand who was allowed into the group, they decided to cut it off. 
funny how that works every time with every social it's, program. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It's just like I'm beginning to see a pattern. You know, I totally, totally agree with that. Um, America kind of idolizes like that 1950s, like, oh, don't you miss when everything was classy? And I'm like, yeah, like friggin' racism? <laughs> like different water fountains for different people? Like that was ingrained into the blood of our society. And I mean, it still is. Not in that overt way, but like literally like people were being killed on the reg. And this is the time that people think of when they think of quote unquote great. And it's it's kind of manifested in Adventism in a weird way, because like I'm sure I'm sure you both have seen like um, all of like these illustrations of like angels and Jesus and Bible characters of like a bunch of white people. Oh yeah. Specific, specifically a bunch of like 1950s white people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I've always thought that, that was so weird. It's like, what about this specific time or like people pining for now? And I mean, like Redmond said, it, it could be like economic reasons or uh, it could be the fact that to them that era is comfortable because they didn't have to deal with people saying, hey, I'm oppressed and this is messed up. Yeah, it was, everybody was able to be comfortable. You know, it was like peak America, especially on the world stage as well. I don't think we'll ever go back to that place where America is just like, we are unashamedly the good guys and mm-hmm. everybody agrees. And so a lot of people, I think, who are, especially as boomers continue to control every aspect of everything, um, yeah. that's like their peak memory. And so we're always chasing that high from however many years ago that was now. It's a great way years. to put it. Yeah, because boomers grew up and their parents, they idolized because they were the ones who obviously fought and died in World War One and Two. Yeah, it's, um, and I think, too, like, you know, the whole nuclear family of that time period, too, where all you had to have was one man who had one good job, and he could support a household of people, wife could stay at home, cook, clean, and do her feminine duties, and live happily ever after. Yeah, in a house that they own. (laughs) And yes, true, in a house that they own, that they can afford on a minimum wage salary just a whole different way of living that unfortunately we will never be able to get back to. I wonder too, though, if it was simpler because they weren't addressing some of the issues that we are addressing in this present day that needed to be addressed. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. I, I was going to ask, I was going to ask though, what are, what are some of your reactions to uh, our argument that like America kind of like fetishizes the 1950s to a certain degree? I, well, it's kind of what I was saying, but more, going more in depth, I think that, um, you know, I've only ever heard, um, I, uh, this doesn't sound bad, but I've only ever hold, heard white old men talk about the good old days. I've never <laughs> heard um, 
I don't think ever heard anyone else talk about the good old days when it refers to like the 1950s or you know that era yeah I think in a lot of ways that was the prime for those people because we weren't addressing the issues we're addressing today we weren't um trying to I guess like tear down these walls between races and between classes and between genders even and I think that now that we are addressing these things, yes, it's hard because like we're trying to tear down years and years and years of stigma and years and years of years of racism and of sexism, but it has to be done at some point in time. And we may go on for hundreds of years trying to battle it, but at least we're battling it. And so maybe it is hard. Maybe it's supposed to be hard. It's hard for a reason. So that's kind of where I stand on it. Does that make sense? Clearly. Absolutely. Oh, go ahead, Brad. Uh, I think um, I, I'm going to mess up the quote, but like, <clears throat> I, I think this was huge, especially um, last summer when everybody suddenly realized that Black lives were kind of important. Um, everybody said hot like take. to people Turns who are, are. <laughs> hot take, <laughs> might matter. Um, <laughs> like to people who are in power, um, it, like on equal power, equality feels like oppression. And I think that's like the biggest uh, discovery that a lot of people have made over the last, I don't know, five to 10 years as the culture war has really hit us had another gear. Just like, oh my goodness, are you telling me that I didn't earn this, that some of this was given to me just because of how I happened to look and what gender I happen to be? And people are very uncomfortable with that concept. Yeah, and like even like social programs and all that, like those same politicians slash like thought leaders slash like money men bristle at social programs because they think what people get like a baseline sense of dignity that I quote unquote earned myself. No, thank you. Give them nothing and let them die for it. How dare they? <laughs> That's um, it's very depressing because i feel like it gets worse every year yeah i mean the statistics show the statistics show that like the only that uh the wealth gap is only increasing exponentially every year wow like billionaires got off like bandits from the pandemic like they made so much friggin' money right and unfortunately neither party is out here to save us exactly regardless of what they have to say And I want to I want to kind of circle. Okay, Redmond, I'm going to do a choose your own adventure here for a second. Do you want to discuss the political party specifically next, or do you want to talk about the history of um, religion and politics together? We'll talk about both, but which do you want to talk about first? Um, Religion and politics, I think, is an interesting uh, subject. Let's start there. All right, so I'm going to turn it right back and say, Redmond, what do you know about the history of uh, evangelicals kind of getting in bed with the conservative machine? Because, I mean, Democrats and liberals and religion, there is a relationship there. Um, Like you said, like specifically, like a lot of like black churches, like identify with the Democratic church, the Democratic, not church, uh, party. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But I think that by and large, and people associate religion with politics it's in a conservative sense yeah i think um from my understanding there really wasn't an intersection until the 80s 
and the the rise yeah. of the religious right with uh with Reagan. Um, mm. as you know, as as they say, anytime that there's progress, there's a a backlash. And so after, you know, all of the civil rights moves of the '60s, mid '60s, Nixon showed up with Law and Order. That was pretty successful um, until you know he turned out to be a crook, and then we had <laughs> we had a, a slight deviation with with Jimmy Carter, and then we went back to the good old days of Reagan. And part of one of the things that Reagan was successful in doing was creating a coalition from the pushback on the civil rights movement and anti-racism and, you know, all of the many things that, that the sixties gave us, you know, just like basic human rights. Yeah. Basic human rights, respect, trying to achieve equality, you know, all all those unattainable goals. And, (laughs) uh, and so, I mean, I think that, you know, when, when in the, in the eighties with the rise of Reaganism, and then I think the big one as well was, making abortion a political thing. I think that was kind of the beginning of the end that we are currently uh, trying to survive. Okay, side note, um, side question. Would Republicans currently have even half the power that they have without the politicization of abortion? I don't think so. Um, I don't think so either. Del, what do, what do you Obviously, think? there's there's a lot of other things that come into that, but I think that's like the main one of the main anchors. Del, what are your thoughts on that 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 question? On religion and, and politics, or on the last question? On the last question. Repeat the last question one more time. Um, would conservatives have half the power they currently do in America without? them being anti-abortion and politicizing it well with my limited knowledge on politics i would say no i would say and i mean that our our knowledge on everything is limited (laughs) not as limited as mine (laughs) 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 um no i would say no just because i think um i think honestly i think i realized there was a difference between liberals and conservatives when it came to abortion when I was like 16 that topic was like a hot topic um, mm. and I think that, that kind of pulls a lot of people because um the concept of life itself is like a very um I guess like it has a lot of emotion attached to it and so when that's a lot of your pull is related to life and uh abortion then I think that it, it pulls a lot of uh, opinions with it does that make sense yeah totally mm-hmm. Okay, so Redmond, continue, continue your, uh, your rundown. Um, so I think part of, you know, as a political experience, I guess, one of the main things is to like, in a, in a two-party system, is to figure out a way to paint the other party as evil and horrible and yourself as morally in the right. And I think yeah. abortion was the perfect issue to for the right to pick um just because you say they are evil they literally kill children who doesn't love children and make it into way more than it needs to be here we are um that was kind of the the basis for everything i think um once once they got that ball rolling now we're in a place where 
shopping at different stores is like political now and we side with people who kill rioters, you know, it's, it's a mess. And then you have, um, I feel like obviously the 1980s and Reagan, Reaganomics, Reaganism was one of the turning points of uh, politics and religion. But I would, I would almost argue that there was, it kind of stayed the same for a while until the 2016 election where evangelicalism took another like step into like politics where they're like, no, like, not only are we not going to like entertain other options, we are going to dig in our heels for whoever the Republicans put forth. I think it was, I think it was not as of a, not such a huge quick shift. I think that the, the groundwork has been laid mm. for a very long time. I think, um, I think that's one thing that people don't give, um, Trump a lot of credit for is that he was setting up a run since like 2010 2011 when he started commenting on Fox News a lot tweeting at mm -hmm. uh, Obama he was homeboy was was setting it up I mean nobody took him seriously but he was ready um true and as and, and as everything is um you know politics is just a game of pushback to what the other guy was doing and we wouldn't have Trump without Obama, and we wouldn't have as reactionary of politics if we didn't have, you know, a black president for a while. So it's all building on itself. I think um, specifically with, with religion, I think Obama was a specific kind of terrifying thing for a lot of very conservative people. Yeah. And very easy to villainize because this dude with a strange name runs the country what this is not the country i grew up in and it's easy to kind of you know a lot of things in a lot of ways obama was not very liberal in most ways he was not very liberal oh yeah especially but everything that he did term. yes yes um and so many things that he did people villainized or assumed his position just because he happened to be a black dude with a weird name and i think that helped um usher in this new uh hotly contested culture war yeah it was it, it definitely seemed like it, it came to a boiling point or at least one boiling point that will probably boil over again in the, in the next election um But yeah, like I think um, politics and religion, you got to be careful about if you're going to engage in both in a intellectual way as opposed to just like, oh yeah, like I grew up this and this, I'm going to keep this and this until I die. I think that just it's... dogma, dogma and fundamentalism just runs so deep in both American politics and religion. I think it's um it's one of those things where it's it's really genius to intersect political beliefs with religion because it's like people are less likely to be open to changing or hearing different perspectives because they're like this is literally my moral foundation that you're questioning. Like, I, I literally feel I, quote I unquote move feel around God in this. 
yes, literally, I feel God throughout my politics. Yeah. And so that's, we're not, we're not moving. This is where we're at. And I'm only going to become more extreme if possible. Doe, what are I your think, thoughts? Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, I feel like I keep saying that on like the Zoom delay and Redmond's about <laughs> to like make another like excellent point, but make your excellent point and then Doe, I want to hear your thoughts up to this point. Okay. You're fine. Um, I think with, you know, in this, in this whole space, um, I think that there needs to be, you know, we talk about for us, a big political awakening was like speaking to people from different experiences and hearing about, you know, what, what it's like. I think that especially currently we, with this huge culture war, one of the biggest issues is just, we're not having honest conversations with people from the other side. I that's mm. more of a, of a issue on the left and is on the right. I think conservatives are usually a lot better about understanding why they believe what they believe and understanding, and at least knowing what people on the left believe. I think our side yeah, has a lot of issues there. Yeah, because whereas like liberals are like known as like the the elites, where they're like, oh yeah, like our position is so much better than like you Neanderthals over there. Why would we even like? Why would we even like transgress ourselves by talking to you? Yes, and half the time that's causes more issues because who knew that someone calling you an idiot and, and unintelligent would make someone less likely to have a conversation. It's true. I mean, deplorable for Trump. Like it's part of a reason he was elected is because absolutely Hillary, Hillary said some dumb stuff. And I mean, she was just Hillary Clinton. So, I mean, that's, that doesn't help. That, that didn't help. Yeah. So, Dell, the floor is open to you. Oh, goodness. Well, I'm not going to lie to you. This is uh, making my mind spin because I don't, I don't know a whole lot about politics. So, all, it's all like very new perspectives for me. Um, but I, I think I like um, the discussion when it was focused on um, the uncomfortableness that we have with, I guess, like religion and politics merging. Um, I find that really interesting, especially in. Uh, because like right now I'm, I'm, I'm visiting my family and they're all very like conservative, both religiously and politically. And it's just so interesting how the two often align to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Thanksgiving time. <laughs> yeah. This is like the perfect time to do this podcast. Yes. Right. <laughs> uh, Curtis, did you have some times this Thanksgiving where you had to... Um, liberal explain some things or are you one <laughs> Act- to just kind of sit back and let them say stuff so actually um while my family is conservative um it's literally just my immediate like nuclear family and like my sister's husband and kids that do thanksgiving with us we don't really like see like the extended family for thanksgiving so i mean it's just like another mm-hmm. like family meal to us so there's really not a lot of like discussion about politics i mean um just because like my dad's off work we'll have like political discussions sometimes over thanksgiving but it's it's always more along the lines of like he wants to like understand something or like um he mentioned the other day like hopefully he's not uh, upset that i bring this up um he mentioned like hey so like how come 
we're not doing anything for these homeless people in Louisville, Kentucky. And I'm like, well, there's some reasons that no one wants to help them. <laughs> um, but like he, he was more coming at it from the perspective of like, well, I mean, politics suck. Like, what can I personally do to help them? And we were like floating around ideas in that in that term. Um, and um, so, yeah, like I there there have been times where I've had to like, quote, quote unquote, liberal explain like my beliefs to people. Um, and um, I am I think here's here's where I've come down. I think I am very blessed and privileged to be a confident, straight white guy talking politics, because with that, unfortunately, people just give me a different type of borderline respect with what I say. Oh, wow. Which is messed up. Um, but it's useful in getting people to sit down and be like, hey, like, I am not going to debate you about this. Mm. Um, I am going to dialogue with you and like, see what you believe. And I'm going to put forth what I believe and try to give you the reasoning behind it. Yeah, that's, that, that is definitely a, a good, using your, your superpower for good, I think. As, um, and, sorry, go ahead. And I mean, I'm not anywhere close to perfect. I think that, I think one of the biggest things with me and like politics and like just my belief structure in general and like people who have been listening to this podcast every episode can, can kind of start to tell a pattern now about like how if I believe something, then I, I have a hard time not thinking of it as like, oh, this is absolute and like the right way to think. And I think it comes, it's rooted in my, my history with like religious, like fundamentalism or like I grew up thinking exactly well, the world exactly worked in this way. So therefore it does work this way. And I think that I've, I have a hard time not just translating that directly to like liberal politics and literal liberal ideas where like, where I'm like, oh yeah, well, like, of course this exists. Like why, how can you not like understand that like racism is alive and well and that we have to be consciously anti-racist to squash it at every opportunity. Um, and then that in turn makes me like a lot less forgiving of like people who have more of an ignorant um, take on it where they're like, well, I mean, I've never seen racism. Why, why, would it, why would it exist? So, I mean, I think like you said, Redmond, like it's, it's all about like having like conversations and not like shouting down at people that like changes hearts and minds. Cause like the reason that like I am where I am is because I started asking questions to one of my friends who was like super liberal and she was just like, yeah, I mean, I believe this, this, and this, like, why do you believe what you believe? And I'm like, well, I guess I never really engaged with it that way. And like empathy is kind of cool, I guess. <laughs> What a wild thing to be discovered. <laughs> um, Redmond, have you ever seen Adventure Time? I have not seen Adventure Time. All right. So since neither, neither of you have seen Adventure Time, there's this one episode where um, they help like reform like this bully in town and they sing the empathy song. And the empathy, empathy song is literally just empathy, empathy, put yourself in the place of me. And there it is. Wow. That's and I was very like, profound. That hits. 
that hits hard yeah. from this silly children's cartoon that I will defend <laughs> in my dying breath. Jacked it right into my veins. <laughs> I think I think that's the if if you if you could package the issue with current American politics, I would say lack of empathy is probably problem number one. Yeah. And not to be that person, but it's something that occurs on both sides. Yeah. So I think that, that that's a great segue because I mean, obviously, um, we're both liberals. Dell tends to lean left. So I mean, there's been some conservative bashing on this podcast. And in the future, I want to have a politics part two where we bring on a few conservatives to talk about why they believe what they believe. I like that. Um, and uh, what'd you say, Dell? I don't even know any conservatives anymore. <laughs> I think I think I could think of a few that would um, come to have like a good faith uh, conversation with us. That's good because I don't I don't think I know anyone. Huh. Um, but that being said, um, we've been bashing kind of conservatism for a little bit. Um, Redmond, I want to transition and I want you to tell me the biggest problems with liberalism in America slash Democrats. Ooh, where do I aside, start? Aside from um, elitism, obviously, since we already touched on that. I, I think the biggest issue with liberalism and democratic politics in the year of our Lord 2021 is... Um, <laughs> I'm so glad you say it that of... way. I'm like, I'm like the only person <laughs> in my friend group who's like the year of our Lord. 2020 and <laughs> i don't remember where that where it started but it just makes things seem more official you know yeah official and funny yes it's a great combination um so yeah i guess the the biggest issue i think is um the the idea that i actually i don't know how to put it in words directly but like the i like this idea but not in my backyard i think Ooh, there's that that's too real like all of the issues that we have that people on the left believe in there are no real places in America that they've been put together and um like started in a in a way to help solve a problem like we look at the current housing issue and how you know every current senate democrat and on the democratic platform they talk about housing is a human right. Um, but every single time people try to put up affordable housing anywhere, even in super liberal places, they're like, I like this idea, but my, my house might lose 10% of its value. So please do this yep. elsewhere. Yeah. Or, or like, why, why would we bring these dangerous people into our neighborhood? Yes. We don't, we need to continue our way of life. I don't want to ruin my, my kid's school, you know, have, have them do that elsewhere. And it is the exact problem that, yeah. and here we are with, with none of the problems solved, claiming that we believe in the same, in, in what is right, but doing nothing to actually make it happen. And I think that, that issue is reflective all the way up to, obviously, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden. Oh, absolutely. Because, like, neither of those people will say anything with their full chest. 
for reasons unknown. I mean, well, not reasons unknown. We know what <laughs> the reason is. It's money. But yep, um, yep. yeah. And, and I think a lot of Democratic uh, people in power basically are just riding on the fact that I will never vote Republican. And so they have my vote regardless, mm. which seems counterintuitive. Like you usually want to make your voters happy, you know, you would yeah. think. But they're like, well, I mean, where else are you going to go and continue along their corporatist BS and uh, riding the coattails of their donors? And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like Democrats feel like they're so much more beholden to the moderates, both in their own party and in, on the opposite end of the aisle, whereas like more like hardcore Republicans are like, why would we care about what the middle says? Yeah, I think I think that's something that I really respect about Republicans is a they're great at messaging. They're sensational at messaging. Oh yeah, the and marketing B, is unreal. It's, it's like you would think that a generation or a, a political party full of the older generation wouldn't be, but no, nah, they're they they knocked out the park I, with it. And and Democrats, you know, continue to struggle, but they are consistent throughout the board on issues that they all agree on and how to get there. And Democrats continue to stumble because we have, you know, a solid five to 10 senators who refuse to change anything significantly. And so here we are. Status quo. Yes. Status quo, like, and we'll move to the left on a couple things so we can say we did something but for the average person nothing has really changed and so obviously they vote for a different party in two years and then here we go again mm -hmm. now i'll ask you i'll ask you this question i'm going to ask the same thing about republicans when we get to them um what what do you see as the future of the democratic party in like five ten twenty five years um that's a great question. I think like currently my confidence is at an all-time low. Um, I really, I was one of those people that really thought that Joe Biden was going to hop on this wave and create a lot of change in a positive way. And don't get me wrong, he has done a couple of things that are pretty solid, but yeah, I don't see him as a modern day FDR. Yeah. But I think I think that the future of the Democratic Party, unfortunately, is more is more elite and less uh, open to change and less questioning of the powers that be. And I think we're just going to continue towards this oligarchy where what really is a decision maker is money, and we just switch parties every couple of years, but nothing significantly changes. I like that's. <laughs> It's, it's bleak, but that's kind of where I see things until <laughs> there's literally a violent revolution. Mm. Wow. That's a, that's a scary thought. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly being hyperbolic, but I, I think that just the way that inequality is going and how bad poverty is, like, there's, there's only so much that the average person can take. If they took over the capital for losing an election like imagine when people can't feed their kids and it's not just 
the pores that we don't care about. You make good points. I can't, I can't really argue against them. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Okay. So I want to, I want to quickly, A, ask Dell what your thoughts on, on the, the democratic side of the conversation are in terms of like, Hey, like you said that you're not super politically active. So like, um, we're going to, we're going to go like, we're going to go like Sabbath school style. Like, what did you learn from this? <laughs> not, hopefully you don't feel belittled by that. That was not the intention. <laughs> oh. All she says is, oh. Well, my yeah, no, I was, I was, I was, I was asking you specifically. Oh, me? Sorry, I was distracted <laughs> by the light in the window. I'm sorry. I'm so, <laughs> so much information. No, I think, um, okay, so Sabbath class, what did I learn? I learned, um, I think, I think I liked hearing you guys, y'all's perspective on um, just, I guess just hearing your perspective. I think it's kind of helped me to understand a little bit more of what, where politics have been and where they're going or potentially could go and understand the history of a lot of um, the journey that we've gone through. And also I think it's given me insight because like I'm really good friends with both of you. I think it's given me insight on our friendship kind of and how, nice. um, yeah, <laughs> how y'all uh, think through problems and think through, um, I guess, like our culture and our current world and our worldview. It's, it's good to, I guess, gain that perspective from both of you. And I, I have a question for you too. Um, as someone that does not identify as fairly political, what is your layperson's uh, experience and opinion on the different parties? Like, how do you see their their messaging and, and where they stand? Sure. So when it comes to, I don't. I only know a whole lot about Republicans and Democrats. So I'll start with that. So Republicans, I see them as kind of. Um, like the extreme, I see them as very, um, I guess like almost bullheaded, if that's fair to say, mm. I don't know if I found a new one, but that's just kind <laughs> of, when I think of a Republican, I think of them like that and kind You're of- You're not gonna hear any complaints from the liberal peanut gallery. <laughs> I can't argue with you at all. <laughs> and so that's kind of like my perspective on it. Um, the family that I'm visiting this Thanksgiving, a lot of them are Republican. And I find myself often just like making subtle comments to stir up trouble just to see them argue with each other. Um, <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I see them almost, this is so bad. I hate when I'm admitting this, almost as entertainment <laughs> to pass the time at family gatherings. But when they're growing that conservative. <laughs> oh. But Democrats, I see kind of as, um, like when I view the party itself, I view them as, uh, I think almost bullheaded, but in the opposite extreme, whereas like they're so um, wanting to take care of everybody and everything that they kind of sometimes miss the point. Um, that's just like a harsh criticism on how I see the parties. Like if I were to think of them as people and like embody them into a personality, that's like the people I would like make them into being. But um, I think, like you said earlier, Redmond, it's a spectrum. And I think that those are the extreme of the spectrum. And so I think that you can definitely fall on left or right and not necessarily be bullheaded. <laughs> um, 
which I think I've, I've gained that, that, that perspective too, even today, just hearing you guys talk and kind of like pull that, um, I guess, pull from your perspective that it's not always black and white. Sometimes there's a gray area and I liked hearing about that. We love grays on deconstructing. Did I answer your Absolutely. question? Yeah, no, yeah, that, that was, was pretty solid. Okay. And I can't, I completely agree with uh, everything that you said. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no wrong answers here. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Redmond, I want to quickly touch on Republicans again, um, and then we will uh, wrap things up. So uh, what is, what is the biggest issue with Republicanism? Um, they are latching onto the culture war. I think they've created this new, just this new normal where we're not fighting about tax policy or, you know, where we're, how we're going to fund the schools, infrastructure, you know, things that po political people or people with political power should be focusing on. Instead, we're fighting about uh, college level discourse in elementary schools and whether or not you can shoot people in the street and go to jail like it's just I, I think that the it's in one way it's genius because oh you've yeah. been able to move the thing and people don't realize you know that they're robbing you behind your backs but I think that's the biggest issue is that it's only only the most extreme voices are continuing to be recognized and seen and so that just encourages everybody else to lose their minds. Yeah, to say the craziest stuff imaginable. Yeah, because that's, I mean, that's how you make the money. That's how you, that's how you get well-respected. That's how. That's how you get put on Fox you, News. You know, get those. Yeah, that's how you get put on Fox News, I think. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's just them. I think in general, it's the culture war has made us all worse. Um but that's, I guess that is my biggest issue with probably politics in general. Mm. Now, I think that the, the culture war is kind of like, it's almost like pseudo politics in a sense where like you're arguing about stuff that's even less tangible than like taxes and infrastructure. Um, you're more like, you're literally yeah. like arguing about like, oh yeah, like what makes me angry? Um, do you think that that's a sustainable model for the Republicans to like sustain, like sustain themselves on? Uh, yes, absolutely. 100%. Uh, it's almost they as if have, people will always be angry. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very easy uh, check to cash. Just get, just get people all riled up and they'll show up. I mean, look at what just happened in, uh, in Virginia. Cleared everything out because of a non-existent argument about uh, critical race theory instead of all of the things that they should actually be worried about when you're yeah. running for governor. Just completely insane. Yeah, this is the bad place. So 5, 10, 15, 25 years, where are Republicans? I am genuinely afraid to even say, I don't know. I'm assuming they'll continue to, I mean, actually here, here's, here's a good answer for you. I see them as becoming the new voice of the middle class. I say that in quotes because uh 
they're going to focus on continually focusing on the, the culture war and whatever the next, you know, weird thing that we can argue about is uh, while continuing to serve the uh, powers that be big money interest. Um, actually, not that different from where I see Democrats in, in 15 years. Who knew? Yeah. There's going to be one party. I think that's the future. Wow. Ooh, that is terrifying. That is scary. <laughs> like taking the decision. Lots of, lots out of, of encouraging hands. things. Yeah. I mean, hey, has it ever been in people's hands? Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, that's true. I'm going to retroactively say that I said that facetiously, even though I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, there was there was no earnesty in, uh, in what I just said. Um, but yeah, that's dour, but I agree with it 100%. Um, now, wrapping up this fine, fine conversation we've had, um, I want to go around the table. I'll, I'll start um, and just give our good listeners one piece of political advice. And it can be anything. And Dell, I'll be especially curious to see what like you'll give because I mean, as like a political outsider, you still have plenty of advice. <laughs> Everybody's got advice. So uh, I'm gonna start by kind of circling back to some of like the main themes of the podcast and saying that like in your politics, make sure that they're congruent with what you believe as a core person. Like hey, like, um, I'm a Christian. I believe in loving as many people as possible and kind of uh, exuding this Christ-like um, aura over um, people. And to me, that is congruent with my political beliefs in that I kind of align myself with whatever political ideology that helps the most people. And that works excellent for me. I feel consistent in what I believe. And you'll sleep better at night if you're not a walking bundle of uh, cognitive dissonance, where you're like believing one thing and then like saying a different thing. And you just feel like all torn up inside. Don't do that. It'll ultimately probably kill you. Wow, solid advice. Don't be a Del, dissonant. You, <laughs> don't be a dissonant. Dell, what are your thoughts? Um, I would like the advice to give. Yeah, I would say, um, I would say three things. I would say one, follow your gut. Two, act on what kind of what you said on your beliefs and let that lead the core of who you are. And three, I would say deconstruct it really dig down to the very bottom of it. Heck yeah, we need a little bell that's that sounds every time we say that. Yeah, that's the name of the podcast. <laughs> But yeah, those are excellent pieces of advice. Thank you. Yeah, for me, I would say kind of on the deconstruction side, uh, follow the money. I think for a lot of these things, we're all reactive and just, you know, angrily reply to somebody on Facebook. But about like, what, what is the reasoning behind this current battle? What, what are we what's being hidden and what, and 
and then figure out a way to make it to focus it on you know the people that are being not necessarily oppressed but people who are suffering um i think with with especially national politics there's very little changes happening that are significant but where things actually can be changed is on your local level you know fighting poverty helping people out voting for local people who can actually make a big difference i think that's that's the biggest focus so i guess all that in a summarized a figure out what the the reasoning behind some of the wars are if you have time if not yeah, focus on the good. changes that you can make on a local on a local space wow excellent I like it excellent advice all around thank you all so much for another wonderful episode redmond thank you for gracing us with your presence you were excellent i appreciate it it's been a good time yeah, it's fun. I'm glad you came on. Um, you're one of the first guests we wanted to come on when we started this thing out. So it's been good to have you. It's been an honor. <laughs> and you will absolutely be invited back for probably a wildly different topic at some point. <laughs> we're not just gonna we're not just gonna bring you on as our political guy who like we just ask the same political questions to over and over again. <laughs> What is a gerrymander? <laughs> are you getting, are you being active politically in your community? Oh. But yeah, maybe we'll invite you on for Aliens Part 2 or something. Ooh, that'd be a fun one. Some weird stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Always up for that. Yeah. But as is tradition on this podcast, I am going to sign out and then we're each gonna say our names and then i will say the last word so as always i am curtis cooper i am your co-host delaney i'm redmond bandy and this has been deconstructing stay loose everybody (laughs) 